Another week of NFL action in the books. Fair to say it was a wild one. Let's get into it. Full 10 Yards NFL podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14 Yard NFL podcast. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, fellas, when you're in week nine of the NFL season and you only go seven of 14 in your NFL Pickhams League, it's been a pretty wild week. Let's welcome the boys into the podcast. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, mate. Last week, I just wanted to give this up, go to a faraway island and never watch another game of NFL. This week, I can't wait for, to be able to talk football. Can't wait to get back into it. It's weird, this league, isn't it? But uh, yeah, smile on my face this week, Sean. Absolutely, mate. And Steve, welcome in, buddy. You seem uh, to be over COVID, which is the main good news of the week, mate, as far as I'm concerned. How are you doing, Paul? Yes, very good. On the mend. Uh, back to normal now. What is the NFL? Does anyone really know anymore? Does anyone even <laughs> want to win it this year? Should the Super Bowl just be between all 32 teams somehow? Just like big, <laughs> one big like knockout competition on the night. Field like... goal competition. Yeah, just everyone gets an invite and then we'll, we'll decide it on the night with some kind of game. But yeah, what is the NFL? Four out of eight division leaders lost this week. Mad. Madness. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And all those people that a couple of weeks ago were saying how rubbish the AFC is. The AFC went 7-1 and one over the NFC this weekend, fellas. Ooh, so there you go. Wee. I don't think the AFC is rubbish. I think it's just very, very stacked. And we'll get into that. You may well get two podcasts from us this week as we have reached the halfway point of the season. Uh, we're going to do something stupid, I think, and probably tell you who we think will be the seven teams in the playoffs from each conference. I hope you're keeping score at the end of the season because it could well look very different, but we'll get into that later in the week. Let's look back, fellas, first and foremost. Josh is excited to talk about it. Let's talk about Sunday night football. Um, It looked a belter on paper going into it. The Titans and the Rams. The Titans, one of the hottest teams in football, but then obviously dealt that major injury blow with Derrick Henry and everyone thought the wheels were about to come off, but the wheels kept on rolling, didn't they, Josh? 28-16 win against the Rams, the Titans, four-game win streak and four massive wins at that. How on earth do the Titans keep doing this, Sean? I don't get it. This, again, was another... It wasn't exactly a dominating win by any stretch of the imagination, even though a 12-point win over the Rams in Rams' house would probably suggest as such. Um, yeah, re- realistic. I'm, I'm looking to see as to how on earth they came through this with the win. The Titans were outgained 347 to 194 yards. Um, Tannehill was kept to just 143 yards, a touchdown and an interception, 19 of 27. Their main rushing threat was Deonta Foreman with 29 yards off five carries. How on earth does that mean that you beat the Rams 28-16? The defense, I think that we've been completely underselling Titans defense this year. I think we focused too much on Tannehill and Henry. The defense has been by far the Cinderella story so far of this year. Five sacks, I think two interceptions. It it, it was a masterclass from the Titans. And I think that they are now, you've got to consider them one of the best teams in football. I fought it for many a week because they lost to the Jets. But, um, you know, that, that turns out it, that was their mulligan. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Obviously, Steve, the game really changed at the beginning of the second quarter with those back-to-back Matthew Stafford interceptions. One of them, obviously, an absolute horror show. (laughs) I mean, he was obviously trying to avoid taking the safety, but, you know, obviously, in hindsight, maybe taking that safety would have been the prudent thing to do. But, uh, yeah, the Titans sort of got up early in that second quarter. And like Josh said, they, they really just sort of then kept the Rams at bay for the rest of it, didn't they? 
I, I agree with Josh. Like, we have to start considering the Titans one of the best teams in the league and certainly at the moment the best team in the AFC. Um, they have quietly sort of gone about their business, but actually when you look at their schedule so far and who they've beaten, they've beaten the the Seahawks, uh, they've beaten the Colts, the, and they've they've beaten all of the big hitters in the AFC, the Bills, the Chiefs. You know, they're... they're, they're they they absolutely tore apart the Chiefs. Now, and obviously, we'll come on to the Chiefs later and their struggles this season. But that is a Chiefs team that's still led by Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. Like, you know, holding them to three points is a massive, massive achievement. Mm. And then going into Rams' house and hold one, holding the Rams' offense to 16 points. But two, just having their way with Matt Stafford. Now, uh, the Titans, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how the, the, the Titans won this game, Josh. It was up front in the trenches because they got to Matt Stafford. Now, in 2020, the Titans had 19 sacks all season and were tied, I think, 31st in the league for sacks. In 2021, we're only nine games at the season. They already have 23. They have 23 sacks on the season. They are tied fifth. And that defensive line is is rolling. Stafford was sacked five times last night. And he just looked... He, he didn't look himself. He didn't look poised. He didn't look the Stafford that we've seen over the last eight weeks. Like it looked a complete, he looked a completely different player. And and really interesting discourse is starting to come up around the Rams. They are all in, and they are the team that this year they sort of have to win it. They have to because if they don't, what has this all been about? What is this, what is this all for? They are literally all in. But the problem with Matt Stafford is that this is what you get with Matt Stafford. You you get the highs and the lows. And with Stafford, another quick stat for you, I think he's about eight games away from being the quarterback playing the most games in history in the NFL without ever winning a playoff game. Ever. Now, obviously, he spent his career with the Detroit Lions. So, obviously, you know, you have to take that with a pinch of salt. But with Stafford, you you get the... The positives come with negatives. In his career, apart from two seasons were in 2010 and 2019, where he started three games and eight games respectively. Every other season, he started 10 or more. In every single one of those seasons, he's had double-digit interceptions. Every single one. So this is what comes with Matt Stafford. Yes, he's a great quarterback and he has an arm and he can make some of these plays, but also it comes with this package. And that's what Stafford brings you. Now, are you telling me that Stafford's going to be able to roll into Green Bay or or Arizona, you know, or Tampa Bay and roll over those teams in the playoffs at the moment? I don't see it at the moment. Mm. I don't see he's got the ability to do that. Now, this Rams team is great, but... This is a warning sign. It could have just been a bad game and they could go and move on next week and, and destroy whoever they're playing next week. But this is also a warning sign. And I think the Rams need to take heed. It's a warning sign, but let's not forget the Rams are seven and two. You know, they've come up against a good Titans team that, you know, the defense carried them through this. They've obviously got a very good defense. Like you say, win up in the trenches. That's probably one of the areas where the Rams are probably weakest in what is a very, very good Rams side is that is their um, offensive line of which I say that, but it's weak from a top four, five team perspective, not on an NFL perspective. So in terms of getting to the playoffs and probably getting to the NFC championship game, they should do it, you know, realistically, unless unless the gods are against them in the divisional round. You know, the Rams are looking very, very strong. But before um, before I relinquish back to you, Steve, let me just reel off the Titans schedule for the rest of the season. You tell me if they lose another game. I don't think they do, guys. I really don't. So they are home to the Saints, home to the Texans, away to the Patriots, home to the Jags, away to the Steelers, home to the Niners, home to the Dolphins, and then away at the Texans. They could easily sweep the rest of that with the way they're going. And don't forget as well, in in by like week, I think it's going to be about week 16, week 17, they get a, a brand new healthy Derek Henry back who's going to be had no like no, little mileage on the clock this season, who's going to be raring to go again. So if they can have him come back for, I think it was around the playoffs, he's, he's probably estimated to come back around that sort of time. If that happens, then all of a sudden this Titans team look even more furious than they do now. They're playing so well as a team at the moment. I think their toughest game left is probably next week. I think this, whilst the Saints obviously have lost um, their quarterback, it's still Sean Payton and you can never write off any Sean Payton-led team and that defence is also elite. But, you know, they, yeah, I agree. They, they, it is conceivable that this Titans team could finish 15-2. and two. And I think that this this team is, is, is 
you know, has beaten some big teams and I think it will continue to do so. It's just whether or not it can continue to do the business against, you know, your Texans and your, and your Jaguars because they did lose to the Jets. So they can't lose concentration and slip up there. Yeah, and that was the point that I was just going to make. They they do still strike me as a team that potentially could just, like you say, have one of those weeks where they just fail to live up to expectations. Look, like I say, don't get away from the fact that this game turned very quickly in that second quarter. Like I say, you know, Matthew Stafford intercepted, thrown out of his end zone, set them up with a drive from what the eight yard line, and then Matthew Stafford's very next pass was returned 24 yards for a touchdown. You know, that's a 14 point swing there very, very quickly. Um, you know, and to be fair, they went for it then on fourth and one from the from the one, um, obviously, but they sort of gambled to sort of, you know, really put the, the foot on the throat and fair play to Mike Vrabel for that. But that second quarter was an absolute killer. Um, you know, obviously, you're not going to get that every week. Um, you know, so it will be interesting to see. I think the, the loss of Derek Henry is massively important. You know, Adrian Peterson came in and let's be honest, he looked like what you'd expect Adrian Peterson to look like. He averaged two yards a carry. Um, you know, so I do think that there are going to be tests down the road. I think the Saints game this week is a really, really tough game. I think they're obviously going to benefit from the fact that, like we said, it's going to be Trevor Simeon. Um, but that Saints defense is pretty tasty. Um, you know, it could be a really good defensive battle. I think if you like defensive football, that might be one for, for Sunday, but we'll get into that later in the week, fellas. Let's keep looking back. And probably one of the, and I say one of the, because there were several surprises this week, but one of the bigger surprises of the week, the Denver Broncos on the road. Forget the final scoreline of Denver 30, Dallas 16. This was Denver 30, Dallas 0 with about eight minutes to go. This was an absolute tonking. What on earth happened to the Cowboys? Or actually, was it just the fact that Denver are finally clicking into gear, fellas? Steve, I'm going to start with you. I think trying not to let myself be too biased, and how can you be biased about a Dallas team that have looked as good as they have so far? Um, This was the Dallas performance that I was waiting for. Like, this has been coming, I think, and just nothing clicked for them. Nothing. They were scoreless until the fourth quarter, and we talk a lot about garbage time, touchdowns, that sort of thing. Like you said, this... I. I last I heard I was when I was watching the scores come in I thought this game was 30 to nothing and I was surprised that it ended up 30 to 16 like you know they managed to put some points on the board um so the the scoreline flatters the Cowboys a bit because they were dreadful nothing happened for them they got nothing working and I think the testament on the offense was was the Denver rushing game Javante Williams had himself a hell of a game uh, 17 carries 111 yards averaging 6.5 a carry um and they just played smart football. You know, Teddy Bridgewater was was effective, was was calm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like a lights out performance, but he just did what he needed to do. Nineteen of twenty eight, two hundred and forty nine yards, one touchdown. You know, it wasn't it wasn't amazing, but he just did what he needed to do. He gave what the defense gave him, um, and and you know that he had one lovely throw into the end zone to Tim Patrick, who is going to make some money in this off season, by the way, um, for for the touchdown. Um, and just it was just a good football performance from Denver, and it was sort of surprising because this Denver team have shown so far this season that coaching has been their flaw, and they seem to come apart at the seams when they're challenged, and you know they haven't put too many good performances in since they've started three and all. But this was a this was a statement performance, and up until um, up until Dallas put some points on the board, thankfully they won't want to be reminded of the stat that they've never been shut out at home never in the history of the Dallas Cowboys. And I thought that was under threat. Obviously they ended up putting 16 points on the board, but um, you know, Dallas just got nothing going. Their running game wasn't there. The passing game wasn't there. um, And the defense just gave up everything. Um, So, you know, Dallas will hope that this is a, 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 you know, just a one and done, a, a, you know, take this loss and move on to next week. Um, and they really can't let, let this affect them um, because, as we've said, that NFC has a group of sort of four or five teams that are up there that are dominating at the moment. Um, and Dallas is in the comfort of knowing that, that the rest of their division is, is dreadful and probably aren't going to challenge them for the divisional title. But they don't want to be NFC East winners with a, like a, you know, like a nine and eight record or a 10 and seven record because they are better than that. We've seen that so far this season. So, Dallas will just be hoping that this is a, a one-off. Yeah. One thing of which I'd like to bring it up, Steve's pretty much said it all, to be quite honest, in terms of you know how Denver controlled the game. 
and how they just stopped Dallas from gaining momentum. But here's one thing of which stopped them before that, and that's their own goddamn coaching staff. Let me read to you the first three drives of the game. Right. Dallas, five plays, starting on the Denver 47 for eight yards. Turnover on downs. Criminal. Denver, punt after losing 10 yards on their drive. Dallas starts on their own 22, 53 yards. Turnover on downs. Right there, you've probably got at least six points. You know, making the right plays aside, of which could, you know, have changed the zeros to sevens, take the freeze. I'm I'm a bit of a conservative when it comes to this. I know Sean hates me every week from a Browns perspective on this, where he's like, yeah, go for it on fourth. And I'm like, no, take the freeze. And here's the big reason why. You go six nil up. You go six nil up there early in the first. You've got you've got a lead. It's a slim lead, but it's a lead. It shows that on offense, you've got something. It puts the fear of something into Denver. It doesn't allow them to have the impetus and the drive. So I think that Dallas shot themselves in the foot early twice. Twice. You know, if it doesn't work the first time around, don't double down. This isn't retro bowl on your phone where it doesn't really fucking matter. You know, for the love of God. Take the point, take the lead. You're at home. You're at home. Take the point and trust that you'll be able to get back at it again. I just thought that it was, it was almost running scared. I thought, you know, that that sort of mentality is good if you're playing a explosive offense, which you know that you cannot give up a chance to score a touchdown. You know, Cleveland went to Kansas City, and converted on fourth downs, went for it on two-point conversions. You understood that because Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the ball. This is Teddy Bridgewater and the Denver Broncos. What in the absolute hell were they thinking? So I think that their aggressiveness, and we've seen aggressiveness from other teams as well where it hasn't turned out. We're going to touch on that a bit more in um, you know, the Philadelphia Chargers game where for large swathes of the game, it just didn't work out being aggressive. And this was one of those where I think that it did a lot more than just put a bit of a dampener on things. Yeah, look, I mean, hindsight's always wonderful, isn't it? And like you say, when when it works, you, you're pleased that they've made the decision. When it fails, you always wish they'd have taken the point. I'm, I'm a massive fan of going for it in as much as I think sevens are so much more valuable than threes. And, you know, effectively, if you convert one out of two, you're still going to end up with more points on the scoreboard in that regard. So I'm a big fan of it. But, you know, like you say, you have to play the situational um, side of the game at times. I, I don't disagree with that. I think, look, two bigger things for me in terms of this one. Dak Prescott didn't look right. I think there's no doubt in that. He didn't look healthy. Um, you know, they obviously played Cooper Rush the week before. You could argue they should have kept Cooper Rush in. Um, you know, hopefully from a Cowboys perspective, Dak is better this week, but he certainly didn't look right um, this week. And, you know, what has worked well for the Cowboys this year, it's been that ground game, hasn't it? It's been Elliot and Pollard. You know, they combined for 14 rushing attempts on Sunday. You know, Dak threw it 39 times. Now, yes, I know that the scoreboard is going to dictate some of that as well. I get all of that. But you need to do what's working and what's successful. And I'm higher on the Broncos than probably both of you are. I've been higher on the Broncos throughout the course of the season. I actually think this offense, and you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater and what he does, he, for me, is almost the perfect quarterback for the Denver Broncos as things stand this season. He's certainly not the long-term answer, and I know Denver are going to want the long-term oh, that's answer. That's offensive to Broncos fans. Yeah, look, they're, they're going to want the long-term answer. But Javante Williams, I think, has been incredibly impressive. I would say Javante Williams has been the most impressive rookie running back. I know Najee Harris probably leads it in terms of scrimmage yards, but that's because Najee Harris is getting 30 carries a game for his 75 yards. Javante yeah. Williams in limited touches, carries people with him. He has yards after contact. And, you know, he he has been an impressive tandem with Melvin Gordon. Time of possession, 41 minutes for Denver on, on Sunday. 41 Ridiculous. minutes. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. But exactly that is how you control a game. And like you say, Teddy will always do enough given what he's given. You know, and I think with Tim Patrick, who I agree, I think he's going to get paid quite nicely. You know, 
for the third option, really, when you think that they've got Jerry Judy and Corden Sutton, Tim Patrick, probably the third option. He's a very, very good third option. Um, you know, I actually think that the Denver offense is more than adequate, and I do think defensively they are pretty good. Vic Fangio's strength is the defensive side of the ball, and I do think they have got a pretty good defense overall. Um, you know, look, we'll get into it on Thursday. This AFC is stacked. But Denver are right in there at five and four. Um, like you say, Dallas probably dust themselves down. And you, like you say, certainly you wouldn't think at this stage in any threat from a divisional perspective, um, but they will certainly hope that this was just a hiccup. Either of you two want to come back in on that before we move to the next game? Well, we'll just say quickly, as I know we'll come on to the preview, but Denver hosts Philadelphia next week. Chance to go six and four in an, in an AFC West division that no one seems to want to win. Um, so, you know, definitely haven't written them off yet. You know, they, they I think there's just moments where Teddy's just not quite enough. They've got so many offensive weapons as well. Like you said, they've, they've, they can hit you from both the run and the pass. And, they're, they're, you know, they have... I feel like they're a couple of pieces away from being a really good team. And the fact that they lost Von Miller and still beat one of the favourites in the NFC this season is is a testament to that team. So, yeah, I've certainly not written them off yet. Um, it would be interesting to see how the rest of their season pans out. Most definitely. Let's move on then, fellas, to um, the AFC North battle, the Battle of Ohio. We said last week it was probably a bigger game for Cleveland to win um, in terms of their divisional standing and record. And for the first time this season, Josh, it was nice to see both sides of the Cleveland team turn up in the same game. 41-16, the final. Um, It was a drubbing. It was like watching the 2020 Browns, wasn't it? It was lovely. My God, I have not felt so relaxed in watching an NFL game in so long. You know that includes the that includes the playoff game against Pittsburgh. That includes quite a few of the drubbings last year. Not that they were even drubbings last year. This felt like an incredibly composed, comfortable finish. Uh, the game all the way through. It was just. Baker didn't even have to have a great game. He still did. His stat line is relatively average. But, you know, he had a great game. Chubb had a great game. The defense, the defense finally showed up. I was complaining like mad on the first drive because the defense was giving everything up. And then all of a sudden it just spins on a on a dime. Um, you know, they march Chase out the game. Jamar Chase was nothing in that game whatsoever. He he was a non-factor. I'm currently now just scrolling to see as to how many, he got six receptions for 49 yards off 13 targets. That's not a Jamar Chase stat line if you've been watching him this season. And that was the key. That was the key. It was to stop Joe Burrow from being able to find his guys either early or down the field. You You'd allow the stuff down the middle. But it was about stopping the big plays or the continuous plays, of which he does almost in slants and uh, screens. They did that really well. It all came together. It was beautiful. I'm I'm going to shut up now because it's just going to be too glowing. Um, but I do want to just play the. Um, I'm going to play Steve for a second and be the stat man, just because I really, really like this insight that NFL.com has up. Nick Chubb has tied Hall of Famers Jim Brown and Gail Sayers for the second most games with 10 or more carries and five and a half or more yards a carry in their first four seasons since 1950. That's elite company. I just, just Nick Chubb appreciation post right there. Two baddies on the COVID list for next week, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to save that for the Thursday part, but uh, yeah, not great there. This, from the neutral perspective, um, this was the sort of performance that I've been waiting for from the Browns. Like they've, for the longest time, I've been wanting them to show me how they are the best team in the AFC North, and they've finally put together a performance. Like before this game, a lot of a lot of people were saying that maybe the Bengals were the favourites. It was certainly a lot closer than it was preseason. You know that Joe Burrow-led offense was coming into town with a with a Cleveland defense that was really not playing too well and hadn't put together a game yet. I think Baker had a, a perfect 
perfect passer rating in the first or a perfect uh, rating in the first yeah. half like you know like you said he didn't you know his stat lines sort of it doesn't look amazing but he he did what he needed to do he was efficient and he, and and he was helped out by his defense which for the first time you can probably say that this season um Denzel Ward's touchdown return um interception was was fantastic 100 yards uh, put Joe Burrow on skates didn't he so um you know that was that was great but just just the 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 Cleveland defense just dominated, like you said. Jamar Chase was a non-factor in the game. Was barely did anything from a you know from a from a receiver that's at the moment is you know is, is putting up games where he's occasionally had two hundred yards. You know, he's he he did barely anything, and they got to Joe Burrow as well. And and um, Miles Garrett's got twelve sacks on the season, leads the league. You know, if he, if, as long as he's doing that and the secondary starts playing a bit, this this Cleveland team will will continue. And I think their schedule moving forward, um, you know, it's it doesn't get any easier because it is Cleveland and they've you know they've they've got some tough games in there, including back to back visits to the Raven uh, uh, games against the Ravens, sorry. Um, but this was the game that I think finally Cleveland have announced themselves and sort of season begins here type moment. Like they have to take this and they have to run with it. You know, game tough game at, at Gillette this week against the Patriots, but they have to take this momentum and roll with it. If they want to be considered one of the best teams in the AFC, they have to keep rolling with it. They can't keep win loss, win loss like the Chiefs are at the moment. They have to start building some momentum. So hopefully for you guys, this is the start of that, especially beating a divisional rival. Um, remains to be seen, but certainly some positive shoots from this game. Yeah, it was it was a huge, huge game. It was a huge performance. And look, we haven't touched on it. We mentioned it last week. And obviously last week we were talking about LeBron James tweeting. We were talking about Odell Beckham's dad tweeting. And obviously at that stage, there wasn't any sort of sign that what was about to transpire did transpire. The franchise acted quickly. Odell Beckham has been officially released. We'll find out in the next 32 minutes whether or not he's been picked up on waivers. Um this team absolutely rallied around the coach and the quarterback of this team. If there is any doubt, and I'm sick and tired of hearing people saying about moving on from Baker Mayfield and how Baker can't do this and Baker cannot do the other, will you just get a grip? That guy is going to be signing a new contract with the Cleveland Browns and he will be your quarterback, whether you like it or not, for the next five to six years. It is as simple as that. And the way that the team responded to him this week, you know, I don't care about fancy stat lines. What I care about was a guy that made every throw that he had to when he had to make it. If Nick Chubb can run for 11 yards a carry, quite frankly, I wouldn't throw the ball once in a game. All right. Josh can tell me how conservative he is about field goals. If Nick Chubb's running for 11 yards a carry and you move the sticks every time you get 10 yards... Why on earth you, would you throw If it? you're guaranteeing me 11 yards a carry, I'd be the same. Exactly, exactly. So, look, you know, he – a full team performance. Look, I mean, let's look at it from the Bengals side. I'm always conscious that, obviously, we're two Browns fans on here. We don't want to wax lyrical. You know, it was a good day for the Browns defensively and offensively. For the Bengals, we've talked a lot this year about Jamar Chase. And, you know, I'm still in the camp that I can understand the pick and I – support the pick but this wasn't a good day at the office for that offensive line that has played well generally throughout this year there were five sacks there were 12 quarterback hits the browns are in the backfield all day troy hill will get a lot of praise as a defensive back because whenever he did blitz he timed it beautifully and he got two you could argue he should have been credited with three sacks do you know how many times the browns blitzed that game fellas six no. six times the browns sent the blitz Every other passing snap, they just rushed the four defensive linemen. And when you consider the fact that the Bengals ran, well, well, Burrow attempted 40 passes and they attempted around about 20 rushes as a team. So on 60 offensive snaps, so for 90% of the snaps, the Browns only sent four people. He was sacked five times, hit 12 times. If that Bengals offense wants to improve, they have got to keep Joe Burrow upright. It is as simple as that. And, and we've defensive... been saying that all year. Yeah, and look, and for the most part, they have done. Like I said, the last two weeks have obviously been, um, you know, bad days at the office. The bigger concern, probably the defensive side of the ball. You know, we thought last week against the Jets was a bit of a one-off. But now, you know, after going and absolutely stomping the Ravens, that's two weeks back to back now that the Bengals have put up some pretty stinking performances from a defensive side of things. Um, you know, 
considering two weeks ago they were the AFC's number one seed, two weeks changes an awful lot. If the playoffs started today, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. So I think they're ranked 10th <laughs> in the AFC now. That's how that's much it's spun on a dime. That's what I mean. From the number one seed to 10th. So, look, they're still in it. You know, they're absolutely still in it in terms of the record and all the rest of it. But there's certainly things for them to sort out on both sides of the ball. I think whilst this was a like a sort of a season starting performance for the Browns, it was almost the opposite for the Bengals. It was like a sort of a, a reality check for them. Um, you know, like they've just lost two on the bounce and their, their schedule doesn't get any harder. They move, they go to Las Vegas um, this week. Uh, they've, sorry, they're on the, I think they're on a bye this week, but then they yeah, go to, the, they're on the bye this week, but then they go to Vegas and a divisional game against the Steelers and then they host the Chargers. So that's, you know, three tough, games against all AFC teams as well like this is going to be a test of this Bengals team and whether or not they actually are something good or if it was a bit flash in the pan you know they had a couple of, of sort of maybe a lucky a couple of lucky wins I, you know I don't want to take anything away from them they have been good in flashes this season but none of us expected the Bengals to be in the playoff picture at the start of the season so maybe this is where they come back down to earth a bit and you know and, and, and they do need to continue building they do need they've got some good skill position players in there if they can add a couple more to that. I think the Bengals will definitely be back next year and could be pushing even for that for that AFC North title. You never know. But yeah, I think this was a bit of a, a sort of a reality check for, for Cincinnati. Yeah, like I said, we've mentioned it a few times. We'll get into it on Thursday. I think all of these teams are going to have a chance to win themselves into the playoffs. You know, Steve just mentioned the next three. Their final three are Baltimore at home, Kansas at home and Cleveland away. So, so you know, this AFC is going to take some sorting out. It really is, fellas. But like I say, certainly, you know, things for the Bengals to be working on. Let's pick up the pace a little bit, fellas. We're already 30-odd minutes in and we've only covered three games. And let's get to another surprise. <laughs> Buffalo 6, Jacksonville 9. I mean, look, the scoreboard's hardly exciting, is it? But we said the other week, fellas, I think it was me that made the point. Did Buffalo need a run game to, to sort of get over the hump? And I was talking about getting over, like, you know, winning playoffs, winning the Super Bowl. I wasn't talking about beating Jacksonville. Christ on earth, Josh, what the bloody hell happened? I don't know. Can someone tell me what the bloody hell happened? Um, <laughs> so, obviously, with this being one of the early starts, it wasn't exactly high on the radar. And I had the bills in my acca as, like, my sure bet. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking... Okay, started out not great. And then halftime comes in, six apiece. What the bloody hell is happening? Because they kept getting quite far down the field and then just losing it. I think Buffalo had two interceptions and a fumble lost. Uh, And also Lawrence was taken out the game as well with an injury at some point during the game. So you look at those, you you know, you look at the yards that they gained and you look at the fact that Lawrence was out and you do wonder what the bloody hell happened. It it just looked like Jacksonville's defense was really up for it. Um, You you know, those are good stats to have. Also, where, where has Stefan Diggs gone? You know, we talk about the running game. Forget that. Where the bloody hell has Stefan Diggs gone? He's he's free OBJ, free Stefan Diggs. I think what I would jump in quickly and say is that, that you know we give we give teams these these trap games and you know teams can lose a game and and still you know come back next week and still have a good season and, and only have three or four losses a season. But this is an alarming loss for Buffalo. Nine like, six, nine six. What is that? They their offense just did not get going at all. Like. Josh Allen was 31 of 47, 264 yards. Like you think, actually, that's, that doesn't look all that bad. But like you said, like you said, Sean, they've just got no running game at all. Josh Allen was their leading rusher with 50 yards. And the next one was Devin Singletary with 16 yards mm-hmm. rushing. Like, what is that? And for a team that, that held, was it 47 zip? They beat Houston a few weeks back. Um, you know, they, for a team that could score that freely against one of the worst teams in the league, the Jaguars are one of the worst teams in the league, and they scored six points, both field goals. Like, what is that? Like, that's alarming. That is really alarming for a Buffalo team that that a lot of people have predicted to go maybe all the way, but certainly be in the conversation of the final yeah. four in you know in, in the end of January. This is a this is a real sort of wake up. You know, you've you, we can't do this again uh, in Buffalo and. Fair play to Jacksonville. The other Josh Allen had himself a day. Oh, had didn't himself he, a day. 
I mean, I can't believe that ended up being such a talking point. You know, it was one of those joke things which you yeah. play it out of, oh, Josh Allen against Josh Allen. This will be a laugh. No, turns out it was serious stuff. My goodness. First, what was it? An interception, a sack, and a forced fumble. Yep, recovery. First he fumble him, recovery yeah. Then he intercepted him. Then he fumble recovered. Unbelievable. What That's a That's something you'll <laughs> never see again. I, no. I think we could watch football for the rest of our lives, gentlemen. We will not have that kind of coincidence happen ever again yeah yeah most definitely it's an absolute shocker of a result um i know you were saying the other day josh you were just as surprised by the scoreline but i can tell you the score of six nine has happened 30 times in nfl history most recently september of 2018 i haven't got someone's got scoragami up Someone's got Scorigami up, absolutely, my friend. Love a bit of love a bit of NFL Scorigami. It still surprises um, me now that you still get the odd game that comes up with one. It's incredible, really, but there you go. So, yeah, certainly questions for the Bills to answer. Um, look, great win for Jacksonville. Um, dare I say it, and I don't, you know, my view on this, I hate even talking this way. Hope it doesn't sort of harm them further on down the line in terms of draft capital and all the rest of it. But yeah, good uh, good day for Jacksonville. Uh, Minnesota 31, Baltimore 34. I've got to be honest, yes, I'm biased. I'm getting sick of the Ravens winning these close games, fellas. Getting absolutely sick and tired of them winning these close games. And why is it whenever he lines up over a field goal, you just know Justin Tucker's going to make it, don't you, Josh? You do, you do. I think that this game was incredibly indicative of both sides. The Vikings are able to pull off seventy-five percent of a game. They're able to they're able to play three solid quarters of football, and then they forget that they're football players. Um, but then the Ravens forget that they're playing football for three quarters, and then are Super Bowl champions for the final quarter. You know, that was that was this game. That has been the Ravens season. That has been the Vikings season. And yeah, it's it's almost as if they complemented each other perfectly to make this happen this time. The Ravens, I think, are they're probably the worst six and two going at the moment. I'm not saying that as some someone who's biased. I'm saying that as someone that just sees them come so close. It's it's almost luck at this point to losing against teams that are definitely beneath them, but yet they keep pulling it out. Now, that could just mean that they're incredibly well coached, but coach for all four quarters, please. And I think that the Vikings are the best three and five team going. They just can't finish. Is that also coaching? Because, you know, I could easily have seen at the start of this season, Minnesota being five and three and Baltimore being, being two and six, the way that some of this has gone, gone along. It's, it's madness. I would challenge you on that because you've been saying this for, for several weeks about how the Ravens are lucky and they've been winning close games and you like the phrase coin flip and such. But what I would say is that they're finding ways to win. They are finding they are. ways to win. And, uh, you know, in this league uh, in January, all that matters is your record. It doesn't doesn't matter how you won the games. If the Ravens end up 15 and 2, let's just hypothesize, I'll get my words out eventually. Um, <laughs> if they end up 15 and 2, doesn't matter how they got there, they got there and they'd be the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, no, I get that. Of course I get that. And. I think it's because of the fact that it's still the first half of the season that I can get away with saying what I'm saying. You know, I think that, you know, especially down the stretch, if they're just pulling off the dubs, then fair play. But I look at, you know, how many times have they been taken to overtime? It's three times already this season in eight games. That's practically unheard of at this point. You know, they they take last minute field goals against teams like Detroit, like Indianapolis, like Minnesota. This team is too talented to be doing that, is my point. I think I hold them to a higher standard. That's my problem. Yes, they're getting it done. It's a case of they should be doing it far easier than this. I just wouldn't be comfortable as a Baltimore fan at the moment. I think that's more my point. I think what I would just say as well is the one thing that we've forgotten about Baltimore is that they had a hell of an injury crisis at the start of the season. Yeah, true. And they still have some serious players that are not playing at the moment, you know. Yeah. And so that has to be factored in. And the fact that they are still 6-2 and two is an absolute testament to Harbour and the job that he's doing there. Um, and at the moment, the Ravens look like one of the best teams in the AFC and, and they keep finding ways to win. And so, you know, I'm very intrigued to see how it how it plays out, especially with, in the division that they're in. Um, and I think you are right, Josh, that soon, you know, if they don't book their ideas up soon, 
you know the you know the the um something will happen and they'll start losing games but at the moment they are just finding ways to win if you hit the field goal on in the last second to win a game by a point what it means is that your offense has put you in that position to be able to do it and you've managed the clock well enough to be able to do it and if you win the game by a point or by 30 points at the end of the day it's still a win in the in the win column so yeah. absolutely and that's admirable of course that's admirable yeah. you know they've got six wins they've got six wins they're in the position that they're in because they are a great football team it's just the case of they're doing it in the most unconventional way possible. And I'm not even talking yes. about using Lamar Jackson as a running back, quarterback and wide receiver all in one. And maybe also a strong safety. I don't know as to who they're actually plugging in at safety at the moment, but it might as well be with the, with the injury crisis. It's a case of it's all admirable. It's just not complete performances. At some point, it's got the, the bridge has got to shake at some point, surely. Well, I will just quickly say on your point about Stefan Diggs, what's happened to Justin Jefferson flipping it over to the Vikings? You know, after his blazing rookie year, what's happening this year? I think there's some problems in Minnesota, and I think there'll be a bit of a bit of a shake around at the end of this season. He's too busy freeing Odell. That's what Justin Jefferson's <laughs> doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get onto Steve's hot seat when we start uh, looking at the sort of preview pod and where we think the playoffs may shake out and all of that kind of thing. Look, credit where it's due to Baltimore. It's like you say, the second half, though, that uh, the Vikings, I mean, yeah, they obviously took the opening kickoff of the second half back for a touchdown, but after that, their offensive drives punt, punt, punt. Not good, yep. no, not good at all. Let's carry on, fellas. Let's move on. Charges, Philadelphia, Steve. Good game, your boys, 24 27. Obviously, on the wrong end of it. Um, many probably had the Charges winning this one comfortably. Certainly didn't pan out that way. It was actually, I enjoyed this one in the light window, to be honest. It was a pretty poor offer in the light window on Sunday, but this game certainly grabbed my attention. What did you think of it, mate? Yeah, actually, this was actually a game where the Philadelphia offense actually showed up. And actually, I think Jalen Hurts had himself a pretty decent day. Like, he, he didn't do too much. Like, he threw the ball 17 times, which is not much at all. But when the uh, Chargers' run defense is as bad as it is, and the Eagles picked up 176 rushing yards, like, just rush the ball. We They figured that out last week against Detroit. If it's working, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. So, you know, they, they had success rushing the ball. So Jalen Hurts didn't really need to, to, to throw the ball too much but he had a couple of exceptional uh, completions to Devonta Smith okay. who had himself a day there was a couple that were just stunning some great route running from Devonta Smith so he's he's making a name for himself in the NFL which is great to see but this story was just about the, the Eagles defense they just just couldn't stop Herbert at all they offered no barrier to Herbert doing what he wanted to do he was 32 of 38 um, which I think is the fifth time this season that the Eagles have allowed a quarterback to a complete 80% plus, which is just not, that's not good enough as a defense. If you want to go anywhere in the NFL, you can't just let them have free reign like that. And there was one throw that he had across his body down to, I think it was Mike Williams for, I think it was like a, a, a 49 yards reception that just, he shouldn't have the time to do that. And, and Mike Williams shouldn't have that much freedom when he's running across the field. Mm. Like just not good enough. So yeah, star of the defense, the Chargers offense took what the Eagles gave them, which was just short, constant, you know, eight, nine, 10 yard gains. Um, and the Eagles just couldn't stop them. So frustrating loss in the end. But as the, when they got the ball back with like five minutes to go, I just knew what was coming. You just knew it was coming. Um, the, the clock didn't work in Philadelphia's favor. Um, some encouraging signs, but this defense needs to improve big time. Yeah, but to their credit, though, they came out and stuffed them on a couple of times where it really mattered. Uh, on the on on the first drive of the game, for example, they did very very, very much the same thing that Cleveland's defense did, of which was give them literally everything, and you know you know go down the field ninety eight yards and still stuff them on the line even on fourth down you know that was huge i think for philly at the start of the game even though they weren't able to um they weren't able to capitalize on that obviously they then went and turned it over on downs again at the start of the second quarter after a 45 yard drive so there are absolute positive shoots for this philly defense if you you know if, if you just look to step away and because the Chargers' offense is a good offense I think the last few weeks, we've almost been remiss to say it because Mike Williams has been a bit absent. Herbert's been rushed a few times and all the rest of it. But, you know, they are still a very good offense. 
Philadelphia did admirably, especially to keep it that close. And I mean, I feel I feel sorry for Philly because of you, Steve. I also feel for them because of the fact that they lost to a last-second field goal to the Chargers. I mean, that's rarer than gold at the moment. Yeah, the Chargers still do have their kicking issues, don't they? And you know, all joking aside, hopefully that doesn't be become a problem if if we get towards the sort of postseason and the back end of the season. More missed kicks in this one from uh, Dustin Hopkins, who's got the job at the moment. Let's keep reeling them off, fellas. Uh, I said the late window wasn't exactly overly appealing. Of course, the game that Sky went with may well have been a different game with Aaron Rodgers on the field, but obviously it was Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers against Kansas City. The one thing I would say, fellas, is I don't think Jordan Love was the reason that Green Bay lost this game. Um, I think it was more to do with the special team side of things. 13-7. to Now, we've said all along, fellas, that the Chiefs just can't put back-to-back wins together. They've now put back-to-back wins together. Are we at all convinced... I don't think either of I don't think either of us, any of us. There's three of us on here. I don't think any of us are, are we? Josh, let's start with you because I know Steve. Steve has already said pre-pod that he's got plenty to say on the Chiefs. So uh, I'll let you get yeah. your saying let, first. Let's, let's allow me my 60 seconds. Uh, yeah, absolutely unconvinced. You're telling me that a Jordan Love-led Packers was one score away from winning this football game, even though the Chiefs' defence had an absolute field day as well. It just shows that Chiefs can't actually put together a f- complete performance at the moment. If it's not the offense, if it's not the defense, it's the offense. If it's the not the offense, it's the defense. Patrick Mahomes had a terrible game, according to according to Sleeper. Anyway, you know I've got him as a QB one <laughs> in a couple of leagues, and I know we say don't look at fantasy stats. The git only got me twelve points, of which uh, lost me a couple. So yeah, I'm bummed about that. But um, no, the Chiefs did just enough. And my God, it was just enough. I think that the the main the main hero and I'm going to claim I'm going to claim this from Liam, who's been on the pod before. There's a there's another pod elsewhere. But uh, Spagnola from uh, the uh, defensive coordinator just charged right at uh, Jordan Love every chance he got. Just put in blitz after blitz and it worked. If you're playing a rookie who's, you know, in an incredibly loud stadium, everyone's already doubting you. Your girlfriend and your mama are up right at the very top of the stadium. Just keep rushing the poor kid. And it it worked. But the fact that the Chiefs won this game without scoring a single point in the second half should tell you everything that you need to know about whether or not I'm convinced. Go on, Steve. Your moment has come. Yeah, I think there's what's alarming about the Chiefs this season, if if we haven't already noticed it, is that there is not, I don't think there's one thing that you can point to that is the problem. You know, they've got talent. They've got talented players. They've got great coaching staff in, in Andy Reid. You know, they've, they've it, there isn't, we all know their defense is bad. They brought in uh, Melvin Ingram to help with the pass rush and Jordan Love was only sacked once. You know, I know they sent a lot of rushes and I know they blitzed an awful lot, but he was only sacked once. Like, if, if you want to have success, you've got to start bringing down the quarterback. You know, we talked about earlier in, earlier in the pod about how teams were sacking quarterbacks five times a game. That's the type of dominant defensive performance if you want to make a difference up front. But there isn't something that can be said about this, this Kansas City team where it's like, yes, that's the problem. Let's identify the problem. Let's change it. Let's fix it. We can move on from here. I don't know what this Chiefs is, see, team is this year. And where do they go from here? Yes, they've put back-to-back, back-to-back wins together first off. But like Josh said, they didn't score a single point in the second half. This is a Chiefs team that, that I've seen score 40, 50 points with barely lifting a finger before. Like, And they just can't seem to do it. And it's not like, it's not like Travis Kelsey's playing awful football. Like He's still one of the best tight ends in the league. Tyree Kill hasn't lost his speed. You know, he's still he's still that same rapid receiver that we all know, and it, what I don't know what the issue is. Like like you said a couple of weeks back, Josh Patrick Mahomes, you could mistaken for confusing him with Carson Wentz some of the times because some of the things that he does and some of the plays that he tries to pull off. I just don't know what the issue is with this Kansas City team. And I saw an interesting comparison earlier this week how this Kansas City team are running the risk of becoming the 2010s Seattle Seahawks where they got up the hill early, they won the Super Bowl early, they got there, they got to the top of the mountain, and then they never go back. They never do it again. Because that's what the Seattle Seahawks were. They got there, they won early, they were a really good 
team, you know, that Legion of Boom that we all remember. They were an astonishing team at the start of the of the 2010s. And then they lost to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and we never heard from them again. Then the Chiefs are running the risk of becoming that team. Now, I know we're only halfway through one season where they've lost four games, but at no point during the season have the Chiefs looked convincing. I don't think anywhere. I don't know what their identity is. I don't really know where they go from here. Patrick Mahomes looks a shell of himself. Eric Bieniemy. Is he getting any head coaching jobs at the end of the season? Nope, absolutely not. Not on the back of this. His stock's way down. So I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is for Kansas City. I think they need to start putting some wins together and fast to get themselves out of this hole. Luckily, they are still well within touching distance. It's not like they're you know, you know, um, two and six or something like that. You know, they're, they're still got. They now do have a, a above five hundred record, which I think is the first time this season um, they've had that. So maybe now they're sort of heads above water, they can start, you know, putting together some performances, but they need to make some changes and fast. But I hope Andy Reid's got some answers because I don't. Yeah, certainly plenty of questions there. I'll tell you one thing, fellas, I was watching it and like I said, I was sort of more interested in the Philly game and I uh, I heard, I think it was Buck and Aikman, wasn't it? And I heard, um, I heard him say Mahomes hands off to Gore. I thought Frank Gore was back in the league for a, a short moment. That got my uh, got me all excited. But apparently it was Derek Gore. So yeah, not even Frank that was Gore's that great. playing boxing. I think. I think they just yeah, confirmed that Frank is, Gore's yeah. about to take part in some sort of uh, heavyweight fight. Yeah, Frank Gore still lives. So yeah. Not a great day um, for Kansas City, and you, you do have to think that if Aaron Rodgers had been playing, and like I say, to be fair, I don't think Jordan Love, you know, did a terrible job in his in his debut. Um, yeah, it was obviously, yeah, it was obviously it was his debut. Like you say, they sent plenty of pressure, but you know, let's face it, if Mason Crosby kicks his kicks, we're talking about a tied ball game. So yeah, Mason Crosby letting them down again for the second time this season. Uh, Final game, we'll have a little bit of a combo, boys, before we wrap the rest of them up. Um, Atlanta 27, New Orleans 25. Um, obviously, big divisional game. All of a sudden, that's another division that's really close. You'd expect the Buccaneers will pull away. We'll obviously again talk about that Thursday. Um, but certainly, you know, for, for Atlanta, big win. Obviously, we, we sort of speculated how the Saints would get on without Jameis Winston. Um, look, this was another last-minute field goal. So, you know, shows how important making your kicks is. We could be talking about a, a gutsy Saints win here. But, you know, big win for the Falcons. Um, Josh, what did you make of that one? How about Hotlanta? My goodness. I I honestly could... This was another one where I was more keeping a track of the score, being interested in the other two late games. But every, every time, you know... I'm sorry, no, it was the early window, wasn't it? Atlanta, New Orleans, I think. Yeah, and I was just keeping more of an eye on the score and just thinking, how on earth have Atlanta kept in this? He... he you know, in fact, how are they? How are they surging ahead? You know, this is still a relatively poor Atlanta team, and New Orleans. Simeon did not have a bad game. I thought. I thought that New Orleans did quite well. They lent on Kamara, as you'd expect, over a hundred yards, and yeah, Simeon had two hundred and fifty-two yards. I think it was. Just taking a quick look at no, two hundred and forty-nine yards from twenty-five or forty-one. So you know that's a pretty good stat line for someone that's uh, QB free with the New Orleans Saints. And this was just about Matty Ice. Matty Ice went off. There was no running game at all. We talk about Buffalo not having a running game. Uh, turns out that uh, Atlanta had thirty-two yards of rushing offense. The rest was Matty Ice of three hundred and forty-three yards. They would. They just ended up being clutch. This was. This was a mad game. The Saints came right back into it fourth quarter. It wasn't enough. Uh, Falcons probably deserved the win. And is this four wins on the bounce now for Atlanta? Three, 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 three on the bounce. Yeah, uh, they're not. They're not going to go. They're not going to go too far. You'd think, but they're going to make it interesting and put themselves out of a good draft spot. You'd think. Uh, I would say just quickly, Conor Patterson, Patterson had himself a game, six receptions. What a fancy pick Yeah, 126 yards he had, so he had himself a day. And this was just a, a, you know, like you said, Matt Ryan. You can never really count him out. They've, you know, they don't have the best offense in the league by far, but they still have options. Like Kyle Pitts is beginning to establish himself a little bit. That completion, I think it was in the first quarter, was was a miraculous. Great throw from from Ryan to him. Um, and you know, they just kept the ball moving and. and 
and this, especially against the Saints team where the defense is as good as it is, if you think about the Saints at the moment, you, with with the injuries they've got, you don't think about their offense. You think about the defense, and to allow this Falcons team to score twenty seven points. I mean, the Saints were were going into the fourth quarter. Uh, the Saints had scored three points, three. They managed to score twenty two points in the final quarter. Um, so you know this game probably shouldn't have been as close as it was, and and Falcons are four and four. Somehow they're not going away. There's, there's, I don't think there's, there's definitely not a sort of four and twelve season like we saw a couple uh, last year to get them that that fourth overall pick. So um, yeah, Falcons are not going away. Certainly aren't. Certainly aren't. Like I say, all of these divisions seemingly getting uh, closer. Let's wrap up the rest of the scores then from week nine. Uh, the Jets 30, Indianapolis 45. So a week after a big win for the Jets, the Indianapolis Colts run all over them. That was score Josh. That was the first time ever it was a 45-30 scoreline to open up the week on Thursday night football. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and Indianapolis bouncing back after the uh, defeat to Tennessee the week prior. We'll very quickly skip over Houston 9, Miami 17. Oh, dearie me. Um, not exactly a great game, was it? Go on, Steve. You want to make a point? What What I would just say is Mike Gesicki needs to get paid big time. He made some unbelievable catches in that game. There was one over the centre of the field where he catches it with one hand. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's got to get paid soon. Very quickly, I wasn't going to touch on it, but Josh, I'm going to ask you one word answer. Any coincidence the Dolphins won without Tua? No coincidence at all. Fair enough, we will move on. Um, New England 24, Carolina 6. I think one of the biggest talking point is Mac Jones grabbing a defensive lineman's ankle after a play had broken down. You probably get the idea of what kind of a day this was. Um, New England all over Carolina. Just on that particular Mac Jones play, let's be honest, fellas, if this was the other way around and this was somebody grabbing a quarterback and pulling them over and twisting their ankle, you'd probably be talking fines and suspensions. Any danger that Mac Jones misses Sunday? I feel like he ought, like something should happen because when you look back at it, it is not good. It doesn't look good at all. Like the ball is nowhere near them, and in the is the is he injured? Is he is it, is a an ankle sprain? I think it might be. Like it's not good at all. Um, and and Mac Jones has start sort of tried to sort of worm his way out of it and say I thought he had the ball. You thought he had the ball? What? Nah, not having that. No, nor me, nor me. It's a, it's a terrible play. I'm glad that it's getting some attention at least because it's going to at least put pressure on, on, on the league to at least address it. Not that yeah. NFL officiating ever addresses anything. So you know, it's all going to be hot air, I think. But it, it does shed some light on, you know, maybe Matt Jones's character or something because you know stuff like that matters to players. It's the Patriots, and it? it's went win by any cost. Um, mm-hmm. On the flip side, I would just say I think I've seen enough. I think most people have seen enough, and maybe even Matt Rule's seen enough that Sam Darnold is not the guy. He is not the guy. We've seen enough now of him outside of New York in a setup that is better than the Jets was with better receivers and better weapons. I just don't think he's the guy, and I think I think he's got a very limited NFL career from here on out. Yeah, that early season promise very, very quickly has disappeared indeed. Another team that showed plenty of promise early season and a bit of a surprising one, this one. Uh, the Raiders going down 16 points to 23 to the New York Giants. Um, managed, Giants managed to do that with a net 96 yards of passing, fellas. So, yeah, uh, different ways to win a game in the NFL, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, one that uh, the Raiders might look back at and regret in a few weeks' time. And we'll close out the Week 9 uh, review, fellas, with... Chicago 27, Pittsburgh 29. Look, I said earlier I'm biased about these AFC North teams winning close games, so obviously I'm going to lament the fact that Pittsburgh win this one, but very briefly, fellas, I don't like talking about officials too much, but is this the worst officiating display that you have ever seen? I have never seen such a one-sided and, quite frankly, outrageous set of calls um, I know, Josh, you've probably got your own view on the taunting penalty, which is obviously the one that creates most of it. Steve, you're in the same camp as me, aren't you? The official just seemingly puts his arse into <laughs> the best player as he's running off the field and then seemingly can't get his flag out of his pocket quick enough. I know he calls taunting, but oh, just it just did not look good at all, did it? 
I'm I'm not having the taunting excuse. I'm just not like he's looking at the player as he walks away, and he doesn't pull, he doesn't reach for his flag until after he's hit him. I'm just I I think it looks so bad. It looks really really bad on the officials. They have to take action this week. Like that that official cannot be refereeing a game this weekend. He just can't. Like that's you have to at least investigate and see what it is. Like even if it's just an investigation, comes up with nothing, then he's in the week after. But he cannot be officiating a game this weekend it looks so so bad i don't know where the penalty comes from i don't know why he throws it i'm just not having it it's ridiculous yeah put it put it this way i don't like that officiating crew anyway tony sees a terrible referee and his crew are equally garbage and most of the game there, there are a bunch of penalties in that game that i do not understand whatsoever I don't think he flags for going into the ref because he does look like he's going into his pocket beforehand. I find the movement incredibly suspect, but I think he is flagging for taunting beforehand anyway and just trying to sell it as a bit more by going into him. Um, But you do see, you know, there is a bit of excessive celebrating against the other bench. But this goes back to taunting being just such a stupid penalty anyway. You know, if you can call it for something like that when you're asking players to put 110% passion into every play and you won't let them shout a little bit at the other bench. My God, what are we What are we even doing? I think I read that there's been 12 taunting penalties across the last two weeks in the NFL, which is the most across any two-week stretch in the NFL in the history. Because obviously, I know they're all calling it now, and it's obviously a new initiative to to call it more. They've all been told to call it more. But I just, there's a line, and I think we've, we've crossed the line. Like, yeah, I don't want to see them getting up in players' faces and stuff like that. Like, you know, there is a sportsmanship element to this. But at the same time, like, you know, Surely they've got to be able to celebrate somehow. Like what? Where, we've gone so far past the line now, in my yeah. opinion. I think that the ES, the ESPN crew said it best during the game. And if you listen back to me on the game in forty, um, they said that look, there might be something in it, but you certainly wouldn't want to lose a game because of it. Hmm. Yeah. No. Look, I, like I say, it wasn't the only questionable call. I think I think it's only a matter of time before teams can start challenging and reviewing defensive and offensive pass interference. I, I mean, I feel for defenders in the league. You know, they they only have to blow on a receiver and they're getting flagged, and yet yeah. you know it seems as their receivers can push off at will against defensive backs. It's similar when it comes to holding. You know. Pass rushers just get held, bear hugged. I mean, Miles Garrett had two people hugging him on one play this week and didn't get called. It's just any call that's questionable, um, you know, it's a difficult job officiating, not trying to say that it's not, but certainly Tony Carranti didn't do himself any favours from the optics point of view on Monday. But importantly, Pittsburgh get the win. Let's talk very quickly, fellas. Game balls for the week. Sean's article up on a Tuesday, as it always is. Difficult to disagree with many of these, I don't think. Um, offensive player of the week, he's gone for James Connor of the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think we've actually touched on the Cardinals. I, th- I think we've missed that one off the slide of games. Well, there's no oh, God, have, I, have I completely forgot? I you knew were, there was one I forgot. forgot. Oh, my <laughs> God, I do apologise. The, the Cardinals were without Kyler Murray, and they completely mullered the team that they were playing against, the team name of which completely escapes me. The, the 49ers. The, the 49ers. 49ers. That's why, because the 49ers are just a non-team. So Arizona had a bye this week, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and they went to they went to Candlestick Park and they made San Francisco a non-entity. Maybe, Game maybe, over. Maybe Christian that's San Kirk. Go on, man. Christian Kirk threw a really nice pass, though. Let's give him credit. He maybe he, he could be the yeah. future quarterback if Kyler can't play. <laughs> and you know what? And you know what? Colt McCoy had a head of a game as well. Considering his career, the fact that he can still come in as a QB 14 and still make make those throws and come out with a dub, fair play. 22 Indeed. of 26. Not bad at all. That is not bad at all. No, not bad at all. Like you say, now Kyler, now DeAndre Hopkins, now AJ Green, and yeah, the uh, Cardinals still roll on. Like I say, powered by James Conner, he had a hat-trick, 96 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 77 yards receiving, and a touchdown. So yeah, he got the Offensive Player of the Week game ball. We touched on it earlier, Josh Allen of the Jags, Defensive Player of the Week. Um, obviously, with that trifecta that we mentioned earlier. Coach of the week, Vic Fangio, the Denver win on the road at Dallas. And Vic Fangio's had plenty 
variety of criticism recently. Player of the week, Devin Duvernay, for his lovely little one-handed snag on the uh, Baltimore go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter. And I do love the gaff of the week. Anybody watching Miami against Houston. You can read about all of those and you can debate them. Get in touch on Twitter as usual. Uh, always a good read from Sean on a Tuesday. Um, so, yeah, that is up on the full10yards.com website now. We will be back later on in the week because we've already gone an hour and five minutes. We said it was a crazy week in the NFL, so we felt that it needed plenty of love and attention. But we'll be back to preview week number 10. We'll talk about Josh's power rankings and we'll turn our conversation towards the playoff picture. We'll try and pick who on earth we think will be the seven teams from each conference. I can't wait to see who we pick, fellas. I'll be amazed if we've if we've all got four of the same in each conference. I will be gobsmacked. But we oh, will come keep... on, come on, four four in each you could easily do. Four in well, each we'll... you can do. Six six would be really difficult. Well, we will see. I'll be surprised if we get four. Look, your power rankings are, are, are uh, a thing of debate every week, mate. So. <laughs> We'll, um, we'll see how we get to. But it's been an absolute blast as always. Steve, I believe you've got some news just to round out the pod before we do close. I do. Gents, it's 9 or 7 on Tuesday night and Odell Beckham Jr. is officially a free agent. He oh, for uncla- God's sake. He went unclaimed on waivers officially. So Come on, Detroit. You could have got agent. some fans in the stadium. How the mighty have fallen, eh? The wonderful Odell Beckham Jr. and nobody wants him. But there you go. I'm sure he will sign somewhere in the non-too-distant future. Um, and, yeah, like you say, it'll be interesting to see if he does get back to anything like his pre-Cleveland um, Browns form. Well, he's, let's be honest, he's pre-2017 form because he's been a bit of a non-factor since then. So we shall wait and see. He won't factor too much in Thursday's podcast, but we will be back to debate all things Week 10 and how we see the rest of the season go. In. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out all the full 10 yards stuff on the website and through the podcast, all the good stuff from the college boys and the betting angles, etc. etc. We'll be back later in the week to speak to you again. Until then, stay safe and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to find us on all our social channels Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game.